If you have your copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn with me there to Hebrews chapter 6. We're actually going to read the last part of chapter 5 into chapter 6. So you're welcome to be turning there if you'd like to. I'll read that for you in just a few moments. I want to uh, catch you up to speed on just a couple things. Uh, one is I had my CT DNA, DNA test drawn yesterday. I originally was going to tell you last week because it was supposed to be tomorrow, but they changed the schedule on me in midweek, and so sorry I didn't tell you ahead of time, but I had that done yesterday, and that's part of my ongoing cancer surveillance thing. And so that was drawn yesterday. I should get the results in a couple weeks, and um, I am at complete, and I'm the most patient person you've ever met. I'm not even worried, and um, so um, this is no big deal, and so, no. Uh, if you would, please pray for me. I would appreciate it. I had to throw some humor in there because usually I'm so direct with I'm nervous and scared, so I figured I'd try to make it funnier, but I'm nervous and scared, so if you want to pray, I would appreciate that. Uh, that'd be wonderful. So hopefully within 14 days, I'll find out uh, how the, the results of the test. So keep that in mind if you'd like to. I appreciate your prayers very much. Next, uh, we're studying Hebrews. Newsflash. January through the second week of June, we're studying the book of Hebrews. Here's the point of the book, the power of an indestructible life. So every week we're talking about that idea in one way or another. So if you've never studied Hebrews before, there it is, the power of an indestructible life. We also have six phrases that we try to memorize together. Haven't mentioned those in a number of weeks. They're like uh, little, short little truisms that hopefully you can use in your life. Hopefully I can use in my life on a regular basis. I'm going to highlight three of them for you this morning because they're all three going to be talked about in our passage today. Uh, the first one is this. Life is full of ups and downs. Two, love is hard. Love is hard. If you want to love someone, it's hard. If you want to love God, it's hard. Love is hard. And third, warnings are wake-up calls. All of us are in constant need of alignment. So I think you'll see those three today as we look at this passage together. And if you will, um, just one more thing about Hebrews and what we're talking about. If you're visiting with us today, um, you're here for Hebrews chapter six. Uh, wow. Um, I hope you come back. Um, just know that, that this passage is seriously encouraging, but it's been misused a lot. And I hope if you'll hang in there, that you'll see what this passage is really about. And I hope that that'll refresh you. And again, if you're visiting, you just jumped into the deep end today. So welcome to that. Listen to this. I'm gonna read Hebrews chapter five, starting verse 11 through verse 12 of chapter six. This is the word of God. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice 
to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, out of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and the eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed. And its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that, are, that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Let's pray. Lord, help us understand this passage. And in particular, Lord, I pray that if there are those among us today that have very, very sensitive hearts, that Holy Spirit, you will keep them from going into despair automatically. That you would keep them from that. That you would help those that are very sensitive to understand what is being said here be encouraged. And Lord, I, I pray for those who may have like a, a force field around their heart. And that force field is just pride. So their hearts are just in virtually impenetrable because of the pride that is in our lives. Lord, break through that field, that force field. Break through our pride this morning and humble us we could be those who hear what your word says and are affected by that deeply so that it gets through that force field we have of pride and humbles us before you. Lord, help all of us by bringing us to Jesus today. May we behold you, Lord Christ. May we see you as Messiah, Savior, friend, lover of our souls, king, returning king. May we see you as the, the, the great shepherd, the one who is our hope, the one who is life itself. Spirit, lead us to him today. We do pray in your name, Jesus, for your glory, for our good, now and forever. Amen. If you have your copy of the scriptures open, just I want you to look at the passage with me for a moment. You might remember that last week we ended in chapter 5, verse 10, and the word Melchizedek, the name Melchizedek is there. 
And then if you look in chapter 7, if you have your Bibles, you'll notice that Melchizedek is mentioned in chapter 7, verse 1. And then you'll notice, if you look at our verse today that we started with, God speaking to the author says, I want to talk to you about these things, but I can't yet. You notice that? In other words, chapter 5, verse 11, all the way through chapter 6 is like this parenthesis. So he wanted to tell us more about Melchizedek, but he's not going to do that until chapter 7 because he needed to address something here for the rest of chapter 5 and all of chapter 6. It's like he has to take us on this little detour. So I want you from the outset to see that Hebrews is not always easy to break down and, and, and parse out because it's like one continuous thought. And sometimes he goes this way and sometimes he goes that way. And since we're not talking about the whole book in one sermon, I just want you to see that we're in this detour period for this week and next week. So we're going to come back to talking about Jesus as priest and understand more about Melchizedek. But God wants to address something in between. He wants us to go on this little detour. And here's the point of this passage. This is what I want to show you. God always wants what's best for his people. God always wants what is best for his people. And we're going to have two stops on our journey today of thinking about God always wants what's best for his people. We've got two stops on our journey. The first stop is we're going to deal with the warning of the passage, which you see pretty much in chapter 6. We're going to deal with the warning, and then we're going to deal with something else. We're going to deal with reflection. Spiritual reflection, reflecting on our lives. You got it? So, God always wants what's best for us. We're going to deal with a warning and then reflection. So, let's jump in. You see, the author starts in and he's talking about a problem that needs to be addressed. Here's the parentheses God always wants what's best, but we got to start with a warning. There's a problem that God sees in his church. There's a problem he sees, and here's the problem. Look at verse 1 of chapter 6. There is a maturity problem, the lack of it. He looks out, and he sees his people, and he says, my people are not mature as they should be. They lack maturity and need to move toward maturity. They need to move toward growth. Now, remember the audience. Remember that this was written in the first century. Remember that the book is called Hebrews. Remember that it's written to Jewish people in the first century. Remember that there are people who have gone through tremendous transition through the coming of Christ. Through Jesus coming to earth, the God becoming man, Jesus, God and man. When he came to earth, literally in history, it changed a lot of things for the Jewish people. Remember, it meant that if Jewish people really understood their history, they would see that everything in their history is leading them to Jesus. So, rather than thinking that their spiritual status was all about tracing their lineage back to whichever tribe, or, or boasting about coming from Abraham, or boasting about serving under the greatest king of the earth, David, 
or, or clinging to uh, the desire for a little piece of land in the Middle East. They had to see every single thing in their history their ancestry, the kingship, the priests, the sacrifices, the land that God promised them. They had to see all of that as culminating in, in ministering Jesus to them. So that they had to let all those things go, meaning they had to understand their entire history in Christ. And if they didn't do that, then they really didn't understand their history. And they were clinging to something that isn't a reality. They've made it up. Because everything about their history, everything about their past was proclaiming Christ. That's a huge transition to make. Huge. And on top of that, remember in the first century there's persecution going on. So not only were they trying to connect all of the sacrificial system and everything about the land and all this about priests and all of this to Jesus, it's that they were facing persecution if they claimed to believe in Jesus. And I don't know about you, but whenever you start thinking about persecution and someone wanting to threaten your life or what you say or what you think about Jesus, you're gonna have a tendency to wanna go back to things that you know that are more familiar, that are easier. You're not, it's not instinctive for us just to press on in when we're talking about persecution, right? So God sees this going on. He says, uh, look, we need to move on toward maturity. Persecution is real, but, but don't go back. See everything through Jesus. That's what this whole book is about. You see, here is the warning stated. Look at chapter six, verses four through six, those verses in particular. Let me, let me tell you the warning. Here it is. It's a long sentence, but I want it to be that way. It is possible for you to experience supernatural realities and not have a transformed heart. This is the warning. There's a problem of immaturity. And God says in chapter six, four through six, it is possible for you to experience supernatural realities and not be transformed, not have a heart that has been changed. Look at all these phrases in verse four through six. In the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. See all that? Then fallen away, it's impossible for them to come back. Do you see all that? You see, God is addressing an audience of primarily Jewish people who are being, not only having to figure out how everything in their history points to Jesus, but facing persecution, knowing it's easier to go back to what I know, and God saying, no, listen, there's a warning here. It's possible for you to experience some supernatural realities and not have a transformed heart. And he's using this language, all those phrases I just read, because he's reminding them of the model. He's reminding them of the history of their people in the wilderness. 
All those phrases are describing God's people who had tasted the heavenly gift. You know what that probably refers to? Manna. God provided miraculously for them. That they experienced God parting the Red Sea. They experienced Sinai. They experienced the giving of the law. They experienced these supernatural realities where they literally saw the Red Sea parted. They they literally received the word of God from Moses who went up the mountain. Remember all that? They literally experienced the powers of the age to come. And yet, they fell away. And yet, it was impossible for them to return because they wouldn't repent. God is giving his people a warning. He's saying, hey, you do realize that you can be all around spiritual things. You can even experience some amazing supernatural things. But all of that doesn't necessarily mean that your heart has been transformed. And here he describes them as falling away and unable to come back because of repentance. What he's getting at is this. They experienced all that stuff and they walked away. And there was no desire at all in them to repent. We have a, another situation just like this in a few chapters later. We'll get to it in chapter 12. It, it gives a situation of Esau. Do you remember this story where Esau sold his birthright because he wanted, he was hungry? And, and God tells us in Hebrews 12 that even though Esau sought what he lost with tears, he couldn't get it because he wouldn't repent. Here's the point. You can experience a lot of things about God, but if it doesn't produce repentance in your own life, then maybe you don't have a transformed heart. That's why God uses this language of like crucifying Jesus again. Do you see that there? It's not that they're literally crucifying Christ. At this point, he was alive and he was back at the throne. He's saying that with their lives, they understand who Jesus is and they don't want anything to do with him. It's as if they are again agreeing with the crowds that say crucify him, crucify him. You see, that's how hard their heart is. There's no repentance there. This idea, to put in one word, what this is teaching is apostasy. It's being around supernatural things, but not having a changed heart. It's in some ways affirming that these things are true, but over time, walking away. And over time, walking away in the, with this posture. I don't need to repent. So just to be clear, it's not that these people were converted. It's not that their hearts were transformed and then they somehow lost that transformation. It was that there was never transformation in the first place. And please hear me. God 
will never turn anyone away who comes to him repenting and believing ever. This is not saying that people were coming back and saying, Lord, I'm so sorry. I've broken your word. I've broken your laws. I've lived in rebellion against you. And God's like, no, that's not it. It's that their hearts hadn't been transformed. They were unwilling to repent. It's called apostasy. Now, this passage also shows us how this progresses in someone's life. Let me show you this. Try to do it quickly. If you go back and read these verses, let me highlight these things for you. Look at verse 11 of chapter 5. They've become dull of hearing. Look at verse 13 and 14. You know what it means to become dull of hearing, right? Oh, I'm bored with this message. I'm bored with this message of grace. I'm bored with this message of Jesus. I'd rather hear about something else. It's not interesting anymore. They become dull of hearing so that the message of the gospel isn't interesting then you look at verse 13 and 14 and you've got these phrases put together that they're, they are out of practice and unskilled in their thinking. So when you become dull of hearing, it has a tendency over time because your life changes and the circumstances of your life change as you grow, as you live, as things happen in your life, if you've become dull of hearing and circumstances change in your life and you have not been practicing and putting into practice what you are learning, then it's not just that you're dull of hearing, it's that you become out of practice and unskilled, right? And what that leads to ultimately is, if you look in verse six, there's this illustration given about rain coming down. The fruit that is produced is thorns and thistles. So in other words, to become dull of hearing is to become bored with the gospel. And then when the life circumstances change, you haven't been putting that into practice because you become dull of hearing, so you're unskilled in discerning what's real and what isn't, so that over the course of your life, as you continue to live, the fruit that comes through your life is thorns and thistles. Bad stuff that hurts you and other people. It's unproductive. It's not a blessing to anyone. But I want you to see that even though God is giving his people this warning and even though he's working it out to them, showing them, if you will, even stages of how this can happen, he's doing this encouragingly. He really is. You see, there's a spot, there's a, mo there's, there's a period of time, there's, there's a moment in, it's not one simple singular moment, okay? It's not a millisecond, all right? Sorry, I misspoke there. There is distance between warning and threat. That's what I'm trying to say. And that's the spot we're in right here with this passage. Let me try to make that plain. Let me try to illustrate so you can breathe, okay? Take deep breath in and out. I don't want you to be scared. I want you to understand this, but not be scared. Went to my financial advisor not too long ago in the last few weeks. Laid out to him, here's what I got, here's what I'm thinking about retirement, here's my check-in, what do you think? And here he said, this is what he says, well, if you keep doing what you're doing till you're 70, you 
won't have enough money to live past late 70s. But thankfully, you have time to make changes. Do you hear the spot? There's a warning that is not a threat. You got it? There's a warning that if I don't make some changes, then retirement is going to be difficult. Maybe difficult anyway. But it's a warning. You got it? It's not a threat. That's the moment we're here. God's saying this to all of his people, but it is he's encouraging them. You say, what? That sounds, man, that's a lot to think about. Look at verse 9 of chapter 6. What does he say? We are encouraged with better things about you. We are more hopeful when it comes to you. You see the point? Yes, he needs to address this problem of immaturity. Yes, there is a warning because we could be around spiritual things and experience some supernatural realities, but our hearts may not be transformed. But God is saying, but I'm more hopeful about you. And if you look at verse one of chapter six, he even says, let us move on toward maturity. It's plural. He's including himself in this whole discussion. You see, warnings are wake-up calls. All of us need realignment all the time. God is not writing this to threaten his people in that moment. He's writing to warn them encouragingly. Say, keep going. That's why after verse 9 and 10, 11, and 12, which we won't talk much about today, he reminds them, God sees what you're doing. Keep it up. You're loving one another. Keep going. Do you see? It's a warning, but it's brought with a ton of encouragement. Well, that leads us to reflection. So you see, God wants what's best for us so much that he would actually warn his people. I know that may shock you, but it is a beautiful thing that God loves you and me so much that he would warn us. You see, do you remember the final expression of hate? Indifference. God warns because he loves. He actually cares about you and me and cares about what's going on in our lives. He loves. That's why he warns. And not only that, but he gives us this because he wants what's best for us so that we would actually reflect. When you read back through these passage, this, this passage, I hope that you will not approach it as taking a test, as if you pass or fail. I hope if you read back through this passage, you won't think, well, here's another checklist. I gotta determine whether or not I'm dull of hearing, I am unskilled, uh, I don't have discern. Not the way to read this passage. It's not a checklist, it's not a test, pass or fail. It's meant to summon your reflective powers, and in particular to reflect on three things. The first one is this, eating. Here's the question, what are you eating? Spiritually speaking, what are you eating? What are you consuming spiritually? You notice the analogy he starts off with at the end of five? Milk and solid food. See that? He's connecting immaturity with milk, right? He's saying, if you reflect, 
what are you eating? What are you eating? Is it only milk, solid food? Dave, are you 48 years old and only have a diet of milk? Because that would be a problem. What are you eating? And he's connecting milk with immaturity. He's connecting that with the first three verses of chapter six, where he says, look at these little couplets that he has. Uh, Repentance and belief, then talks about washings and laying of hands or baptisms and laying on of hands. And then the future, talking about the return of Christ and judgment. Do you see that in the first three verses of chapter six? He's saying, what are you eating? Are you only consuming milk? Are you just thinking about these things? Repentance and faith, baptism, prayer, washing, laying of hands, and, and the future. But here's the thing. Here's the, here's the challenge. Here's the reason why we need to reflect. The person who is immature knows something about those realities, repenting and believing, baptism, washings, the future, the return of Christ and judgment, but they treat them as a tool in their toolbox. They treat those things as, yeah, I know about that, I'm over it. They treat those things as, "Mm, I can take or leave it. Those realities are not their reality on a daily basis. They want to move on from that as if they are not needed. And what God is telling his people is, those things, repentance and faith, baptisms, and thinking about the future, the coming of Christ and judgment return, that is the reality on which you build your life. That is the reality in which you build into, build on top of, that it goes deeper into your life. You never ultimately move on from any of those truths. You just move deeper into them and are able to process repentance and belief, your baptism and the coming of Christ in deeper, more profound ways. Let me show you what I mean very briefly, if I can. Just take some hot button issues in our culture today. Not gonna be getting into all the details of it. Just trying to connect the dots of what it means to be immature and what God says is moving toward maturity. One says, I don't need to think about these anymore. As a matter of fact, I'm done. Experienced it, not interested anymore. Maybe I'll bring it out if I need it, but fine if it gets cobwebs on it. The other is we go further in and deeper into and build upon them. Hot button issue of race. We think about that issue through the lens of repenting and believing. It's not political. We think about the issue of race from what God says and how that leads us to repent and believe. Think about the hot button issue of sexuality. We can do that through the lens of our baptism, that God has put a new name on us when we are baptized. We are baptized into the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, that when we're baptized, we're washed So we're not defined ultimately by our sexual failings or our sexual identity, but who God is and what he says through the lens of thinking about what baptism means or the hot button issue of justice. You see, to think about justice through the lens of our future, the return of Jesus and the judgment means 
that justice that we desire for our world is because ultimately we know God is the God of justice and one day all things will be made right. You see? We take those basic things and they become the lens through which we process everything. So we're adding to and building upon and building on top of and building in all of those basic realities. We're not treating them as if we got it, we're good, I don't need that anymore. And I'm willing to put it on the shelf and leave it over there and not touch it. God's saying that is the immature problem. And there's a danger in that that might indicate that you can experience some supernatural things, but your heart may not be transformed. You see, God wants us to reflect about what we're consuming, what we're eating. Second, he wants us to reflect on sensitivity. Is your heart sensitive to the word of God? Reflect on that. Think about the Bible studies that you've done over the years or the ones you may want to be in or the ones you're in now. Have you studied the word of God primarily for it to tell you and give you spiritual stuff to do? Have you studied the word of God because you fundamentally think the whole purpose of studying the word of God is to see whether or not you can mentally expand and grow? Do you think about the word of God as fundamentally about getting you excited? About motivating you? Friends, God wants us to study the Bible to grow our intellect, to help us understand the way we're supposed to live. And there are even times when the word of God does motivate us but fundamentally, the word of God cuts into us deep. And it exposes our thoughts and our intentions. Do you remember this? And if you're simply studying the word to give yourself action items to do spiritual stuff, that is not fundamentally what the Bible is given you to accomplish in your life. It is fundamentally to expose all that you are, your thoughts and your intentions, in order to bring you to Jesus. And we can study the Word of God and get all excited. And we can study the Word of God and have five action items. And we can study the Word of God and be all dialed in with our theological framework, and yet our hearts are left untouched. And the fundamental purpose that God wants us to see with his word is that it rips us open. If we really study the Bible, it rips us open and exposes who we are and what we really think, and in doing so, brings us to the good news of Jesus. That's how we know when we're really getting down to understanding the scriptures. God wants us to reflect on how sensitive is your heart to the word of God. 
when you study the scriptures, do you want it to expose you and to bring you to Christ? Reflect on that. Reflect on that. Third, production. Um, when you look at chapter 6, verse 7 and 8, this illustration is given of the rain that comes down. You see it? Rain comes down, it's soaked into the earth, and it produces things. Thorns and thistles, bad. Other things that are good, blessing. What is the word of God, the message of Jesus, what is Jesus producing in you and through you? Where is the, where is your, how are you growing as a person? What kind of person are you becoming? Do you see that you are a person that is growing in kindness? When you look at your life and reflect about what is being produced in you and through you, are you becoming more generous? Are you becoming more loving? Are we becoming more patient? Are we becoming more self-controlled? What are we becoming? God wants us to reflect on all of these things because he wants us to understand that maturity is Christ likeness. Maturity is becoming like Christ. What was Jesus feeding on? A couple different times he says, my meat and drink is to do the will of my heavenly father. Was Jesus sensitive did he have a sensitive heart to God? Total submission to the will of his Father. Remember we talked about that? What was produced by Jesus? Friends, salvation, redemption through what he did on the cross. And because of what Jesus and because of his sensitivity of heart and because he went to the cross and because he lived a perfect life and because he rose from the dead. That enables us to continue to want to take him in and to continue to be sensitive in heart, our hearts sensitive to God. And because of what Christ has done, it enables us to be more like him. And that's what brings us to the table 